Welcome to Create with Trip Elix. Hey, that's me. I hope you enjoy the conversation I had with Marie Cosgrove as much as I did. And here is Marie. I I, I don't subscribe to NLP because I've, I've done a lot of... If you do some scientific studies, there's reasons why some people have certain movements or eye, eye movements. But I studied NLP in sales. Of course, you study everything, right? So I studied NLP, got certified in it, and I'm like, this seems like a bunch of BS, you know? And I've done a lot of research on it, and I really do not it, – it's a pseudoscience. It really is. Because there are well, – especially because I'm in my field – which we study nystagmus. Nystagmus can give you a lot of information as to neurological um, problems, Mm -hmm. uh, central nervous system problems, vestibular problems, and things of that nature. And a lot of it, I mean, it's just a lot of pseudoscience. But anyway, that's my belief. I know a lot of people, I have friends who are big-time believers in it. But anyway. Well... There's a use and a misuse in in sales in general. And the difference, there's an intrinsic difference between the people that are greedy that get involved, and this is my belief, there's an intrinsic difference between people that are greedy and going to the get quick rich seminars mm-hmm. and the people that you encounter in your field that have college degrees and are forced into being the buyer for a large organization. Mm-hmm. And those two different people that one is selling to and you are selling to aren't really the same kind of people. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you for you in what you portray to me that you try to do and the customers that you deal with, those generalities aren't going to hold one, one, the people that, uh, people that prey on typically wouldn't work for an organization anyway like you would be selling to. Mm-hmm. There's there's just, they, they've tried doing scientific studies on proving it, that it works, and they've all failed. Oh, so, sure. Yeah, sure. they've all failed on, on NLP. But I do have friends that swear by it. I'm like, okay, but yeah. Right, like from our sales teams, I do not, we do not use on NLP training at all. Sure. No, I, and I can understand, I can understand why. I, you know, I, do you, um, do you read any of the, the, you get into neurological testing, you said with rapid eye movement with your, uh, and eye tracking with the equipment that you're dealing with. Is that right? Yeah, that we manufacture. Uh-huh. What is, who, so you do 
um, more neurological testing? Is it a, a testing set? Or what is it? So um, it's, it's called ba Balance Back. We manufacture it for doctors to help doctors diagnose uh, concussion, traumatic brain injuries, dizziness, things of that nature, because everything's connected, the central nervous system, the inner ear, the eyes, and the, we have a patented uh, system. So we have a set of goggles. They're very, very cool, very lightweight. Um, all my kids, when they got into virtual reality, is like, oh, we wish we had yours for virtual reality. They're, they're that cool. But um, we're able to see eye movements you can't see with the naked eye. The patient looks at a stimulus on the screen, ocular motor tests that are, uh, it's the gold standard, uh, optokinetics, saccades, things of that nature. The founders actually discovered this way, way back about eye tracking and how, depending on the torsional movement of the eye, you can determine if a problem is a central nervous system problem or a vestibular-based problem. So when a patient has an injury, uh, you, you've heard that saying, you've got rocks in your head. You really do. You've got, you have miniature little rocks or like little cannulas in your inner ear. So when you have a head injury, they can become dislocated. If they become dislocated, you lose your sense of balance. You lose that. They help you identify where you are in space and time and help you keep your balance. They're very, very important, but they can be repositioned and put back into place and you can get your balance back. That's what's called balance back. And then also if you have a, a head injury where it, it actually affected the central nervous system, the traumatic brain injury, concussion, things of that nature, or you might have a tumor in the brain, it'll help identify that. So we also make a device to treat. So after we diagnose, is it a central nervous system problem or is it a vestibular-based problem? Then they go through a therapy to remap the neuropathways in the brain. So you say you've had a head injury, sometimes say you, you injure the frontal lobe, so that helps you process things right from wrong, for example. And if that gets injured, what we do is we retrain you. That, that area may never heal, but what we do is we train other parts of the brain to compensate for the area that was damaged so that you can regain those cognitive functions that the part of the brain that was damaged was using. So that's what we do. So what kind of stimulus would you do to not remap the uh, the so, part of the hippocampus, but actually um, remap a different area of the brain and then get that data over to that or supplement that? So it, it depends on what, what the situation is, if it's a CNS disorder, a traumatic brain injury, if it's, you know, depending on what it is. For vestibular base, we have modules that were developed specifically for that. So we have over a thousand different rehab programs for that, like thousands of them. And we first we do an assessment. First we do the neurological assessment. Then we do the um, a baseline assessment, and then we do the then we're not, we know which therapy to provide to improve the patient outcome, and then they get retested to, to see the progress over time. Sure. So this is the company um, 
this is the company that you were working for as um, in sales for uh, a long time before you ended up buying the company? Yes. So what what happened in that exchange? You know, I why don't you tell the audience like what uh, transpired in that? Because buying the company that fired you is kind of a unique underdog story. That's that's the basis of your book, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And uh, so, what happened there? So I I was doing really well in sales and I was one of the top salespeople. So um, one day the owners decided to meet with me because I had just closed a couple of big deals for University of Texas and for Baylor. And after I'd closed those deals, they flew down to Texas, one of the uh, executives or owners, partners. So I thought I was getting a promotion. I was really excited. And he said, we're really proud of what you're doing. We're, we want to make you an offer. So he wrote something down on a piece of paper, handed it over to me. And I looked at it and I was shocked because what he wanted to pay me was a lot less than what I was making per year. He wanted to pay me what I was making per month in commissions per year basically, which is six figures. But, you know, as a single mom with four kids and two had, at that time, my 28-year-old was a little boy and had uh, JDMS. There was only one doctor that treated for that in Houston for children way back then. And I had to take him to get tested once a month because his organs could go out and I had to do physical therapy weekly. On top of that, my kids had PTSD for the abuse of uh, my ex-husband. And so dad lost parental rights. So I had no one to fall back on. And, you know, when I said I I can't afford to to take this offer, I didn't expect for them to let me go. And they said, you don't have a choice. You either accept this or you're fired. And you can't sell for us anymore. And I knew that if I accepted that, I couldn't afford it because I paid my own marketing. I paid my own travel plus my healthcare expenses, which were over 10 grand that I was paying a month for all four kids at the time I had four kids. And so I, you know, I really didn't have a choice and it it was pretty devastating, but I started another company. I got FDA clearance on another device. I did very well with it. And when, you know, the, you know, how rumor spreads, I get a call from the company that fired me and they said, would you be interested in investing in our company? And I went to go look at the financials. When I looked at the financials and the accountant said, hey, look at the numbers during these years. And I thought, wow, that's really good. Uh, And he says, no, you don't understand. You you did most of these sales. And so then I decided I wanted to buy the company. So after six months of negotiations, I bought the company that fired me. So what did you do with the guy that uh, fired you? Uh, Kept them on because they didn't understand their their thought process was you have to be an engineer. You have to be a doctor to make that kind of money. 
And the only reason you're doing so well is because this is an amazing product, which they were right. It isn't, it was an amazing product, but they were wrong in the sales aspect of it. They didn't understand how sales works. So they were very good at what they did. And I just kept them in their lane. Sure. You know, it's funny that so many people get out there and they have these great ideas and they don't have a clue how to sell it and they just fall flat on their face. Mm -hmm. Yep. And And it sounds like that was the case and having somebody that actually knows how to sell for you and then losing them, I'm sure their sales went uh, crappy after that because there was nobody pushing their product. Right. Right. Exactly. So how many years ago was that? That was um, almost um, a decade ago, 10 years ago. And I was told that I would bankrupt myself and the company within six months. And 10 years later, we're still here. So you had, um, you had said that you got, um, along your way, you had uh, gotten involved with, uh, one of the speaker companies, um, because you bought a bunch of books. Um, that was actually an interesting story. Yes. Uh, John Maxwell, uh, I had joined a leadership team to bring leadership into my company because I really believe in investing in your employees, investing in your staff. I think that is key to have a successful company and long lasting. So I joined this group and when people would ask me, you know, what do you do? And I would tell them, they would say, well, how did you get, how did you become CEO of this company? They were kind of shocked. And because I, I, I look very unassuming. I don't carry the R of a CEO. So they were pretty shocked. And um, they said, you should speak. You should share your story. And that's kind of how I got into speaking. Oh, okay. And those but guys. But it was, it, it, it was, it, it didn't really, there's more to it too. I mean, I, um. They they told me that, and then I had a distributor who was working for me, and he went into the speaking industry, and he got involved with Les Brown, another speaker that's also well-known, and when they were doing an event together, Les Brown asked him, how did you get into healthcare? And the gentleman said, well, I used to work for this girl, but then she got fired, so then I had to go work for somebody else, but then she bought the company. And he was like, what, what? She bought the company that fired her. I need to talk to her. And I didn't know who Les Brown was. I didn't know who any of these people were. I I wasn't familiar with the speaking industry, but I had just found out who he was just very recently. So when I get this call and he says, I'm Les Brown. And I was like, is this a joke? I thought it was a joke. And it, it was him, his voice, his amazing voice. And he said, I'll see you on Monday. I'm going to go visit you. I've got to meet this woman who bought the company that fired her. And I thought, okay. And I didn't think he'd show up. But at the time, he was living in Cleveland, Ohio. 
so he drove up to my office in Dayton, Ohio, and I have a, the front of my office is all glass, so I see him drive up and park, and I'm like, oh, there comes Les Brown. He came in around 5 in the afternoon, right be, right where every, everybody had gone home, comes into my office, and we became good friends since then. He stayed at my office till like midnight. It was hilarious because he said, you know, I don't smoke. I've never smoked. I think I need a joint now. <laughs> <laughs> he was kidding. <laughs> well, we became good friends. And he said, you need to be speaking. And then I started speaking with him on stage. And through him, I met Mick Wojcik. And he, if you don't know who he is, Google Nick. He's no arms, no legs, no limits guy. He's a very popular motivation, inspirational speaker. He fills up aud- audiences of 100,000 in India and China, fills up stadiums. He's very, very inspirational. And he said, Marie, you need to write a book. You need to help others. You need to write a book. So I've got my book out, and that's kind of how I got into this whole speaking industry. And it's it's actually it's very uh, interesting in that respect. So you you got a book. When does this book? What's the name of the book? The name of the book is Greater Fortune: Essential Lessons from the Entrepreneur Who Bought the Company That Fired Her, and. It's out already. It's available on Amazon, uh, barnesandnoble.com. It's on Kindle, and it's on Audible. So anywhere books are sold. Well, that's okay. And it's it's called what again? Greater Fortune. Essential Gre- Lessons. Yeah, Greater Fortune. Greater Fortune with uh, Marie Cosgrove. Yes. The whole thing with the speaker thing has been kind of dead for since the COVID. But um, I would imagine uh, here in the next six to eight months, it gets cranked right back open again and probably much bigger than it ever was before. Mm -hmm. If history uh, has any say, uh, I was listening to a guy on the radio talk about the pandemic that we're in he made a comment that he was a history major and never made the connection with the roaring 20s and the and the 1918 or 1914 break outbreak from the pandemic Mm -hmm. but the interesting thing was that that virus actually died out in the 1950s interesting uh, 1956, supposedly uh, 55 or 56, it died off the planet because there wasn't anybody left to infect. Um, it had run its course and then came out of a refrigerator around 1972 at the height of the Cold War. The Russians claim that the United States did it. The U.S. says, say the Russians did it, but the first outbreak was in Atlanta near CDC. Mm -hmm. The interesting part of that is that if you go from 1956 to uh, and subtract 19, 
18 from that, you get a little less than, you get about 37, 38 years that that thing was alive. Mm -hmm. But we've been taking vaccines now for that same virus since 1972 for almost 50 years. Wow. So just like damming up uh, the waterways and keeping floods at bay and then creating mega floods, I'm just wondering if we're making the virus stick around longer by immunizing against it. Just right. I know, you know, do you remember, well, you might be younger than I am. I don't know. I remember being a kid and we used to have measles parties because that would immunize us from getting the measles and you didn't want to get it as an adult. So if you had the measles, bring all the kids over, you'd get it for two weeks, get to relax, eat. I remember my grandma giving me seven up. I don't know why. I think seven up. The Hispanic community was seven up and Vicks. That was a cure for everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my grandma, I remember putting Vicks on everything. You have a cut Vicks, you have a cold Vicks, mosquito bite Vicks. But um, that's what they did. And some older people are, they were like, why did they just give everybody, you know, why did they just have COVID parties? Get all the young people immune to it that's their vaccine and then you're done with it <laughs> so um that was the thought process when i was you know i i grew up in the 70s i was born in 1970 so there's my age but you know it, it is interesting how now you know like you said it's we'll see I don't well, know. There's, the, there's the, the, I, the the question is, and, and actually, you brought up a very good point about the the um, the measles. Measles are a both of them are diseases, but my understanding is that there are two classifications of disease, and this is not my specialty at all by any stretch. It's completely my opinion from what I've read. But a disease like the measles doesn't mutate. Um, it's not a virus. The definition of a virus is a mutation. Mm -hmm. The problem with H1N1, one of my very good friends, uh, which is that other flu that we've always lived with, was the recipient of number five. Basically, what happened with that flu is it mutates in a progression, one, two, three, three gives it to four. When you give it to number five, um, the fifth person to get it in the mutation has about 48 hours to live. Mm -hmm. And if they don't seek med medical care, they do die. Mm -hmm. um, he was at his office and basically collapsed and called the hospital and or called an ambulance and ended up spending um, a few months on a ventilator mm -hmm. and um, came off the ventilator and uh, started to get back normal in life. And then the pandemic came along with COVID. So he hid. <laughs> I can't say I blame him. Not sure. So, um, so tell me, you know, you're traveling around 
now are you looking forward to getting into the speaker schedule again? Well, I do speak quite a bit, but I speak on, I, I speak virtually. I've done a couple of where you're on stage, it's still a vir virtual audience, but the speaker's on the stage. So I've done a couple of those too, and a lot of virtual events. So I'm still doing virtual. Well, cool. And, um, People can uh, reach out to you in Dayton to get their autographed copy of your book as well? Yeah. Yeah, they can. Um, they can go to my website and get an autographed co copy, mariecosgrove.com. And just to get the book, they can go to barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, Audible, Kindle, anywhere books are sold, they can get it. Did you sign up on Amazon for their, uh, their KDP thing? Uh, I'm not, what's the KDP? I'm sorry, I'm not familiar. It's where Amazon keeps all the money and they give your stuff away for free on their, uh, for their members. Um, well, a lot of my, people, a lot of people fall in, fall for that. I, I don't think so. Cause I'm not familiar with that. My publisher, uh, is the one that's it's handling the sales so it goes through my publisher so i don't oh see... yeah 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 that's right You're yeah publisher yes it's published by ben bella books you can also get it through their website benbella.com oh okay so what was your your journey in uh getting a publisher because a lot of people that have material and they want to get to a publisher and an agent how did you get into that uh, again, that was accidental, uh, and it is very hard to get an agent and a publisher because nowadays they expect you to have a huge following and to be famous. If you're famous and you have millions of followers, you automatically, it's easy. Well, not anymore. Even Nick Wojcik, who's a New York Times bestselling author two or three times over, has had a hard time getting a publisher for his latest book. So he started his own publishing company, but I, um, Nick really? and, yeah. Yeah. So Nick, it, it seems like now there's a lot of these young people that have these channels that have millions of followers and that's, that's who the publishers want whether their their content is any good or not, it, it doesn't matter. If you've got millions of followers, that's all that matters. So one of a folio literary agency, they, they do a lot of work with movies and books and, and famous people. The founder, he, he was really intrigued with my story. And he said, this, everybody's got to read your story. I'm going to pick up, I'm, I'm going to pick you up. And then even with them, they said that whoever they present to a publisher, HarperCollins, whoever, it never gets rejected because it's Folio Literary Agency. They're like the top agency, one of the top agencies in the world. They've done movies like October Sky, uh, Men Are From, wait, what's that book? Mars and Mars Venus. Mars and Venus and Women Are From Venus. You know, that things like that. They, they do big stuff. And they couldn't get anybody to pick me up. They kept telling me, well, uh, publishers were saying, well, you know, 
Joe Osteen's famous and he needs your story. Of course, I wouldn't get paid. I wouldn't get a cent, but my story would go out. And I was like, uh, no, that's not his story. That's my story. They said, yeah, but you're not famous. You're, you need to give it to somebody who is. And oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't really want to do that. And my agent was like, no. And finally, Ben Bella, uh, who has had more New York Times bestselling books in the last couple of years and many other publishers, and they do fairly well. And their story is really unique, too, because it's a publisher that's, that started off fairly, fairly, you know, they're not as old as HarperCollins that's been around forever. So they picked me up and took a chance on me. And it's not the easiest thing because, like I said, they expect you to have a following. So for them, they thought this is a great story. This, this will be easy for us. Because they have more, a ton of New York Times bestselling books, more than even a lot of the big time publishers. So when they went to their media outlets and say, "Hey, let's get the the book's going to be out on you know Mart in March. Let's get her booked for interviews." Nobody would pick it up, even though I've got Folio Literary Agent, I've got uh, Ben Bella Books, because I don't have the millions and millions of followers. Well, I'm in healthcare. I'm not on Instagram, you know, and not that photogenic. So it's not like, you know, you snap a picture and voila, you you got millions of views. Uh, So it's just been very interesting. So you still have to do a lot of the marketing yourself, even though I've got the best, you know, one of the top publishers and top literary agents. I still have to do a lot of that work myself. So it's very interesting, but the feedback has been phenomenal. It, it was Porchlight Books selected it as one of the top five books to read for uh, new releases in March. Publishers Weekly did a review on it, and they're pretty big. So the feedback's great. I've had a lot of um, people who bought it, and they send me messages, and they're like, you know, my daughter came in from college, and she picked that the book and didn't give it back to me I had to buy another one or you know a lot of stories like that so it's interesting where uh, families are are buying multiple copies for their teen kids or or college age kids so it's been very interesting well you know there's a couple things and this might sound a little bit out of turn but not being the super 21-year-old beauty that gets a million followers by just putting up a um, an Instagram or a Twitter uh, uh, account. The other side of it is that those accounts that do have those millions of followers are useless followers because literally they're... Uh, propagated usually by a bunch of men or on Twitter and most of the things. I'll tell you a funny story I that's on this just so that you understand how things work. A lot of and other people. I had a woman that was on my on my podcast, lovely lady that was in her 70s. She made cookbooks, family cookbooks, uh religious woman. Um who told me that she went on 
um, uh, TikTok, and she had thousands of followers on TikTok. Now, being an elderly lady selling cookbooks and having thousands of people follow you on cookbook didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But she said she did. But what I found out is that TikTok and a few of the other social media platforms, when you join them and you post regularly, you will gain followers that aren't necessarily real. Interesting. LinkedIn is a platform that does this. That's that Microsoft one. Uh Uh-huh. There have been reports that people have very large LinkedIn accounts and all they did was post things and a lot of the followers are not real people. If you go back to the companies and things, the companies don't exist. They're just nothing. Interesting. So, um, I mean, uh, the Twitter purge that hit me, I lost about half of my following on Twitter. And I have a feeling that half my followers were actually real people. (laughs) 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 So I'm not sure what I got left. (laughs) So there are also a lot of people that pay for it. I know one speaker, he paid a lot of money to increase his following. And he went from like 500 followers to... 45,000 on Instagram within a couple of weeks and he paid for it and he said he was trying to get me to pay for it and I said no I'm I'm not going to do that you know so also um, what's interesting there's a speaker he's got a video that's very good and it's got over a million views and because it's got over a million views Uh, My agent says, we'll pick him up. We'll pay for someone to write his book. He doesn't have to write it. And the the guy uh, doesn't like what he wrote. something awful on Facebook. I'm not going to have the white man take 15% of what I do. It's my story. He actually put that on Facebook. Uh, I couldn't believe it. So he self-published. And another speaker told me they hired him to speak. He lives in a one-bedroom apartment, can't even afford to pay his rent. And the person that booked him gets calls every day, pay for my rent. They had to even get him pay for his Uber to get to the speaking to speak. But this idea that just because you have millions of followers, you're an influencer, not necessarily true. Yeah, not necessarily true, but you know, if you want to if you want to get it, there's a couple things. One, your your actual message is middle America, which is uh, middle middle um interest, which is yeah. really go- a good place to be. Um, you know, the one thing that you can do is there are uh places like you decide how far you want to go, but uh, getting your uh, doing uh, the local TV networks around where you're at, uh, their morning programs. Mm-hmm. If you can get uh, a couple of those, uh, you can build a sizzle reel. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the sizzle reel, 
um, meaning two, three, and then do a couple recordings of yourself, or do you have any other recordings of you public speaking? Oh, yeah, I do. I have a sizzle reel of me speaking to audiences of 15,000, 9,000 oh, media cool. appearances. And so, y- yeah, I, do yeah. and stick it all together. You yeah. can, um, you can get on any of the New York or uh, LA talk shows. You just need to reach out to the, um, the producer. Yep. Um, and most of those producers, since you've got a sizzle reel already, um, just shoot them an email and, and, uh, talk about their show. You got to watch their show so that you know who the host is. Right. Right. Um, and just watch it for a couple days and tell them that, you know, you, you, who you are and, you know, your, your story, if you will, don't necessarily talk about your book, just talk about you. Mm -hmm. You can tell them I've got a book. Mm -hmm. And um, they'll, they'll put you on. Um, It's a lot easier if you're, if you're near one of the coasts, uh, just Mm -hmm. because of TV production. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the radio guys, like, if you're going to, if you're going to go down to uh, uh, go south uh, over, I heard that um, I heard that uh, uh, Joe Rogan moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. And so did um, so did that other guy that has oh, I can't remember what his name is. Dave Rubin. Mm-hmm. He's an uh I think he's moved to Texas too. And those are the, those guys are huge. And well, Joe Rogan's got the biggest podcast in the world. Right. Right. He, um, you know, what's interesting is on, I was on Rush Limbaugh before he passed away last year. And the, the tribute, the day he died, they replayed our call. Oh, wow. uh, his wife came on the day he died. And then I posted that and, so, and people got offended. How dare you post this on the day he died? I'm like, uh, no, this is today's recording. They did the replay. His wife announced it today. And this is what they chose to play today on the tribute. And they've replayed it about four times since he's passed away. As replays. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. But of course, I didn't have my book out at the time when I'd had my call with him. So, um, you know, I was thinking of reaching out to their producer. I don't know what what their their plans are, putting someone else in. I've heard of who it was going to be, but I'm not sure. Um but anyway, yeah, that that um, that really resonated with their audience. Well, that's great. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, there's so many possibilities that we can that we can make for doing publicity and um, and making a mark and getting other people interested in what we're doing and creating a following, you know, with us. Um, uh, we met uh, in my Twitter feed um, because of uh, some other stuff that I was doing on 
on that platform. But, you know, it, it, it's all just a great big community, you know, and you just learn to meet other people and groove who they are. And that's the way it goes. I mean, the funny thing that I always find funny about the, the irony of things is, you know, that, um, that thing that happened at the uh, Grove in California with uh, what's the name of that guy from Texas, the guy at Screams that got thrown off of everything. Um, uh, damn it. He got thrown off of all social media because of uh, conspiracy stuff. Alex Jones? Yeah, Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. When he did that thing on the... Uh, on the Grove in California uh-huh. and the secret society and all that, you know, right. who was standing next to him. Who? Joe Rogan. Oh, really? Yeah. They're like really good friends. Oh, interesting. I didn't know. So when Joe Rogan was on YouTube, his Alex Jones episode got deleted. I remember that hearing about that. Yep. So when he moved over to Spotify, supposedly Jones was going to be like his first guest. Oh, interesting. Uh, What's the name of your book again? Greater Fortune. Greater Fortune. And uh, you can get that in any of the uh, bookstores. You know, the the whole thing about it is, you know, it's what we end up doing. Uh, who we end up meeting, uh, that's all we really got, you know, when it comes down to it. There isn't any, any more besides our close internet, our close family, but mm-hmm. how we can affect other people's lives and how we can make it better is all we have in this life, you know? That's true. It's true because it, it's it's not about us. It's about you know, valuing other, other people. I was having a conversation, you know, I always tell my salespeople that it's, it's not about you. Sales is about helping the other person get what they need and help them fulfill what they want. You'll never make it. If you're always, if it's about you, what am I going to get? And I have a friend of mine who she did our sound and she did all of our video and the staging for one of the arenas, an event I had at an arena and with COVID everything shut down and she's very good at starting businesses. She's good at leading. So she started another business, disinfecting hospitals, clinics, personal homes and other businesses as well built a very successful business because she looked at what the need was what does the community need what is there a lack of there there was no one doing it in the community and how can i serve instead of oh poor me this is this is what i love doing this is what i'm good at now i've got nothing but she put those skill sets to use so when we start looking at what can I do to serve? What do people need? What do you need? How can I help you? How can I serve you? Then that's how you begin to grow because it is about 
it's not about you. It's about others. It's about valuing others. And you're right. That's basically what, what it's about. Yeah. And, uh, you, that gets lost on the people that just try to make a buck. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, they, they just, if, if that's all you're after, that's all you'll receive. Very true. Very true. I was at a trade show with my clinical director and a doctor came up and said, can I talk, asked a question. He says, talk to my boss. So your wife? No, my wife's over there. So he comes up to me. Oh, does your husband run the company? No. Is your husband a doctor? No. Um, you're a doctor. No. <laughs> How'd you become CEO? And he's like, after all of this, he finally asked me the question he was going to ask me uh, because capital equipment is mostly, even today, is is mostly male-dominated. Not pharmaceutical, but when you're capital equipment. Sure. Yeah. So that's interesting. It sure is. But, um, yeah, they... Uh... The publicity thing is a lot of fun. I haven't been doing it for a while. I sent you radio guest. Uh, I forgot to do that to you, for you before. That's that um, site that I said uh, for getting on radio and uh, podcasts. Mm -hmm. signing oh, yeah. Up, signing up for them. The thing that I would suggest that you do is you will get, if you sign up for their list, mm -hmm. you will get hammered with a whole bunch of people. Your thing will go out to a whole bunch of people. The thing, most important thing for you to do when getting interviewed by people that you don't know is what? Find their show and listen to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you, if you think their show sucks, don't go on it. Okay. Be warned. Some of the shows out there do suck. <laughs> Mine is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, some of them are just awful. I mean, they really are awful. And um, you, you, be choosy. Okay. But um, putting on his directory, you'll get you'll get f somewhere around fifty or sixty um, invites right off wow. the bat. Wow! So why wouldn't you go on somebody's show, even though it sucks, if they've got listeners? If they don't have any listener, what I'm getting at is, if they don't have any listeners and the show sucks, it's a waste okay. of an hour. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. If they don't have listeners. Okay, so the show sucks. They probably don't have listeners. And mm -hmm. if, yeah. they're, if they're insightful or not. Some of the shows are just horrible. I mean, they really are. I have been on a bunch, enough of them. I probably, on podcast, other people's podcasts, I over the five years I've been doing this, I've probably been on a couple hundred. Mm, wow. 
So I, I was today, I was interviewed by a friend of mine, but I've never heard of his show. Uh, he's in leadership, but he's in healthcare too. And so I'm sure his show is pretty good. Uh, I've just never heard it. Um, and then I was on a morning show. I think I told you about that already. Cool. Fox station. It's on my Facebook page. You'll see it when, whenever you I got to I got to start uh, doing stuff again. I haven't done it in a while. I just, yeah. you know, when I was doing that, when I did that Twitter thing, that became such a distraction. But I did get a thousand people in Twitter groups. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah, 50 at a time. Yeah, it that's pretty good. Um, but Twitter is very, I don't know, it's kind of funky. Yeah, it's it, clannish. It, it is clannish, but the way you, I don't know how you get, you know, the way I got followers is through these, um, uh, with trains, it seems like that's all people are interested in is trains. It's so weird to me. Okay, you accepted my fa Facebook request. Yeah, I'm just looking for you now so that I can send you. Oh, I'll send it to you in text. Um, so my radio station was a Spanish on 42 Spanish stations AM. Yeah. It was so tiring because it was two two hours, one hour on Saturdays, one hour on Mondays, and it was a lot of prep. I had no guests. It was content only. So I've got years and years of content that I need to put up, just put it out there now because the calls I would get, I mean, I'd be like four or five hours. I'd be like, okay, then I learned to cut it where I'm going to take the next 10 callers and that's it because it was too much after the show. And then I just like, okay, I can't do this anymore because I was doing it for free. And I, I was spending hours in preparing. So I, um, yeah, I quit it after doing it for a year. <laughs> but it, it's, it, it's uh, not the same audience. Like none of them were on I don't know. I don't know that they weren't, or maybe they were on social media, but it is just a different audience on AM radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the whole thing is, the whole thing is culminating your, your audience so that they just follow you and they stay your audience. And, but the, oh, I, it was FM too. There were some stations, it, there, it was on some FM stations as well. I forgot that it, it was, it was primarily AM, but, they did have some. Are, are you keeping your email list? Yes. And you're not hitting it with updates and bullshit. Excuse my language. No. Good. Don't. Yeah. No. There's a bunch of people out there that'll tell you to hit your email. No, list. no. That's annoying. They'll block you. Huh? They'll block you. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. There's a guy that's on the speaker. There's two guys on the speaker circuit that uh, float around and they tell people to do that. And it's like, no, don't do that. 
<laughs> yeah, I, a lot of the advice I hear for sales and stuff like that, it's crazy. And I'm like, that's just crazy. That's so wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. Don't do that. Oh, don't annoy people. <laughs> yeah. Have Oh, I just saw a picture of you. It looks like when you were younger. Um, or I don't know. Was it taken in 2016? Anyways, you look like Alice Cooper without the makeup on. <laughs> Have they ever told you that or no? No, I usually get uh, Al Pacino and John Lennon. Yes, you do look like Al Pacino. I don't see John Lennon, Al Pacino. But in this particular picture, Alice Cooper, when he was younger, um, when Alice Cooper was younger, without the makeup, of course, not with the makeup on. Okie dokie. Well, thank you so much. So I'm going to go through this radio. What's it called? Radio. Radio guest. Yes. Yeah, How much is that? Oh, um, their service isn't real expensive. From what I remember, it was like 50 bucks to get into it or 100 bucks to get in. Sorry about that. I just hit YouTube if you heard that. So uh, is it radioguestlist.com? Mm-hmm. Radio, radioguestlist.com. Okay. So really what you want to do is just figure out where you want to be. And then as far as publicity goes, if you want to do national publicity, you can find some of it and you can be on it with uh, having a book or not having a book, having a book kind of helps because it gives you something to talk about but mm -hmm. the real thing that people are going to want to talk about marie is you mm -hmm. you're it mm -hmm. so anyway uh thank you so much for being on i really appreciate it well thank you for having me on i appreciate it it's been an interesting conversation we talked about so many things yeah, well, Marie, that's the kind of the way it rolls. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this program. And obviously you did if you got to the very end. I would appreciate it very much if you would share this podcast with other folks that you know out there. And please, please leave me a review on iTunes. I really need to know that you exist. I really appreciate it, and I will be making another episode very shortly. Until then, adios.